everyone. Uh, it's great to be together. Thank you, worship team, for allowing us to lead us into the Lord's presence. And that's always good. If you'd open into the book of Galatians, an uh, incredible book that we began a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's actually a letter to a church uh, that was a new church, filled with a lot of young Christians, new believers. And uh, Paul has a, uh, remarkable messages for them and some truth that certainly is relevant today as it was then. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 of chapter 1, and then we'll pray. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now what I am writing to you, I assure you, before God, I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here, right here, right now. And we thank you, God, for your word, its truth. And so we invite you to take your word, God, plant it deep within our hearts, open our eyes that we could see, and our ears that we could hear. And might what we study this morning change us? Might it transform us? So we'd never be the same. And we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a, a great chance this uh, past Tuesday, uh, myself and the elders, as we uh, sat down and, and, in, and in came to our gathering uh, Six different people, and they, they all had their story to share, their testimony of how they came to faith in Christ, and it, it, was, it was fun being in that room to look around because every one of us was blessed, and as a matter of fact, talk to the elders, they'll tell you how encouraged we were, how built up, and I left refreshed, praising God for his work in these six individual lives, so different. And yet God stepped into their life at different times, in different situations, different circumstances. 
and changed them. I love a good story. And there's no better story than that. Love that song, Jay, we are singing. With the saints, we'll tell our story. What a day that's going to be. Paul's telling his story. And he's telling it on purpose. There, There are several reasons he's telling it. One, he's demonstrating his credibility, which was under attack. And he needed to share the story to set the record straight. And what he makes very clear from the get-go is that his story, his message, did not have a human origin. And there's three attacks that Paul's defending himself from. The first one is Paul refutes the idea that he came to his gospel message through his own human reasoning, through his own thinking. He says it right away, verse 11 and 12. Have you no brethren, the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. In other words, this isn't my idea. This message I'm sharing wasn't something I thought, well, hey, I got an idea, I'll, I'll share this, and, and, and maybe somebody will buy it. No. It came not by his own human reasoning. And he recounts how intensely hostile to the church and to Christianity he was. He wanted to destroy it. There was no way that Paul's message was a product of his own line of thinking. Rather, it was an exact polar opposite of what he had been doing and what he had been speaking about. Pre-Christian Paul was so violently opposed to Christ that even watching the faith and certainty of martyrs put to death didn't move him. It didn't have any impact. It took something different in Paul's life. His experience is actually strong evidence that his conversion had to have been direct revelation. Acts 9, you want me to jot that down and maybe read it this week, shows us Christ his encounter with Paul. And he met with Paul in time and in space. And since even other men recognized his presence at that time. It's a fascinating account in Acts 9. Paul then undermines the claim that his gospel message was derived from others, from Christian leaders in Jerusalem. He did not consult any man. And there's three years between his conversion and his first journey to Jerusalem. And you notice Paul's repeated reference to the apostles. You see in verse um, 7 he mentions some, which is really not another, talking about the gospel. There are some. There were some in that church who were disturbing people. They were claiming Paul had just got his message from headquarters, so to speak. It wasn't a unique message. There were some people in Jerusalem at headquarters who had an incomplete message. That's what Paul was carrying. But he says, I didn't receive it from man. I didn't receive it from headquarters. I received it from God. Jesus Christ gave me this message. You see, if he did receive it from headquarters, this would allow them to argue that Paul didn't get the whole message. Because also the religious group could say, hey, we come from Jerusalem too. And we've been trained in theology. And so we got the whole message. But Paul says it's not the way it happened. And so he refutes their arguments. He then goes on to show that his God-given gospel checked out with the message of the other apostles that he'd received from God. He didn't receive the message from the other apostles. He received it from Christ, but it did check out with theirs. 
There was a continuity to the message. He mentions in verse 18, Peter. Verse 19, James. Verse 22, he alludes to the churches in Judea. While he did not receive the message from them, his message did square with theirs. There was a consistency. So Paul refutes some of those arguments by stating these things. So Paul's account eliminates such arguments like, well, that's what Paul thinks. Here's what we think, and it's just as valid. Well, I wonder if we ever hear that today. That's what you think. It's what I think. All religions are just as valid. Paul had to refute that argument too. The argument went around too is Paul's message is okay, but it's, it's incomplete. Others went around and said Paul's message is simply his message. It's not what the church teaches in Jerusalem, but Paul's words are very intentional to refute that. I got thinking about it. If we were to think about it, we'd have to admit that we would not come up with the gospel. If we had to think of a way that we could earn God's favor, we would choose a scoring system, wouldn't we? We, we wouldn't even think of grace. We would think of some way if we could just do enough things, or, or we would even want to know exactly what things so we could get done with the scorecard and go, boom, I'm in. Right? That's what we would think of. That's a human mindset. That's not the truth. It's not how one comes in favor with God. Righteousness isn't offered by what we do. It's grace. We don't naturally trust grace as human beings. The gospel's like water, though. People didn't invent it, but people can't live without it. (laughs) And that's the gospel of grace. Man didn't invent it. We can't live without it. We need God's grace. We've sang several songs about that, rightfully so. And so Paul presents this message of the gospel, which he got from Jesus himself. Now we have been entrusted with it, and we're to pass it on to others. And Paul then launches into this beautiful testimony. It's his story. And we see actually a a disturbing picture as it begins. A picture of a man terrorizing those he believed were blasphemous. And Paul takes us through this transformation in three phases. Look at verse 13 and 14. You heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. These people weren't ignorant of Paul's life. They'd heard about Paul. They'd heard about this guy. And the things they probably heard first was, this guy is an amazing student of the law. I mean, this guy knows it like nobody else. Because he says, you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism. So words out. Paul was notorious. So much so was he fanatical as a Pharisee, it was common knowledge. The love of Judaism. Not only that, he tried to wipe out Christianity. Verse 14 speaks to his rigid adherence to the law that has astounded some. He surpassed his colleagues. He's a religious zealot. Thus, who could accuse Paul of not being acquainted with the law when he knew it better than those arguing with him in this very letter? They couldn't argue that Paul's message was incomplete because Paul knew the law better than they did. And so he begins by saying, stating fact, you have heard about me. Words gotten to you about me. They couldn't refute that. That was true. They had heard about Paul. Now, 
First Timothy, Paul refers to himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, and the chief of sinners. Worst of sinners. Not very endearing terms. Many today would say, wow, he had a low self-esteem. But I want you to look, to, to be more astounded, maybe you're not familiar. Go to Acts 22. I want to look at two different accounts that tell us exactly about Paul pre-Jesus. Paul's giving a defense in Acts chapter 22 before a religious audience. Verse 4 and 5, here's what he says to them. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priests and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were in Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So as he's on the way to Damascus, or he's on the road to Damascus, he's on the way to persecute Christians. God intercepted him. And then if you go to chapter 26 of Acts, verses 9 through 11, he gives us a little bit more information about his life before Jesus. Acts 26, verse 9 and 10. His defense is before Agrippa. So he says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is just what I did. In Jerusalem, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Quite the guy. We would say, this guy's too far gone. I'm convinced that's why Jesus had to appear to him the way he did. I think many of the Christians at that point, rightfully so, were afraid of him, probably thought he's too far gone. I mean, look at what he did. Look at his life. Paul's an example of a man who was sincere in his beliefs of Judaism before becoming a Christian. But his beliefs were misdirected. Because sincerity doesn't bring salvation. What matters is true because you can be sincerely wrong. You can be consumed with religion and miss Jesus. Paul's story testifies to that. We also learn from Paul's story that no one's too far gone. Maybe you've said something or thought it, oh, he or she will never turn to Jesus. Or he or she is too bad. Their sin is too hideous. We would look at this text and say, behold Paul, a terrorist, transformed by grace. That's his story. That's his testimony. And so he talks about what his life was like before Jesus, And then in verse 15 and 16 of Galatians 1, he talks about his conversion. I love the first word in verse 15. But. It's a great word, and we find it throughout the New Testament. In Romans 5, Paul's talking about being separated from God, but God, who demonstrates his great love for us while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see the word but here is a word of rescue. It's a great word. Paul says, here's my story. Here was my life before Jesus. I'm on my way to persecute Christians, but something happened. 
when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. We'll talk about the next couple of verses here in a minute. He's running. He's running in the wrong direction. God stopped him in his tracks. Growing up, um, I, I could do some mischievous things. I know it's hard to believe. One such thing is we'd, we'd grab a group of our friends and we'd wait till it's dark out. And we'd go around Crystal Lake, Illinois, which I grew up, and we'd go around town and we'd run up to people's doors and we'd ring their doorbell and we'd take off running. It was called Doorbell Ditch. Okay? I was good. I mean, I never got caught. And uh, by the way, kids, don't do this. Okay? Don't say Pastor Matt did it. You know, don't do that. This was the wrong thing. But anyways, it still was fun. But anyways, we went and did it. And one particular time, we didn't think it through real well because the house was kind of isolated. And so we went up, rang the doorbell, and turned around and went, "Uh uh-oh, we got a long way to run. And so we took off, and the person answered the door and and recognized a couple from our group. And and lo and behold, we saw a squad car driving around. We're like, oh, man. So we took off. And we're running home. Now it's dark out. And we thought we knew the way home. And we thought we knew the obstacles, but that wasn't really the case. I was on a dead sprint, scared to death, wham, right in a fence. I mean, just nailed me. Knocked me backwards and, uh, and shook me right up. And I did get home uh, undiscovered, um, but I took a pounding to do it. And, and that's Paul. He's running in the darkness. And wham, he encounters Jesus. That's his testimony. That's his testimony. But I was running in the dark. And then Jesus, he apprehended me. I encountered him. That's his story. There's some things in verse 15 and 16 we discover, he says. His conversion involved God's intervention. God interrupted Paul's life by his grace. He rescued him. I wonder if you recognize you've been rescued. didn't make just a couple mistakes. You were rescued from a life of sin, the presence of sin, and from the destination and consequences of sin, which is hell. You and I were rescued. God intervened in our life. Paul also talks about the fact that his conversion involved God's eternal plan. He talks about his mother's womb. God knew him intimately. Psalm 139 testifies to that as well. His thoughts are similar to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5 and Isaiah 49.1 where they were set apart and chosen by God from the mother's womb. God had a call in their life, we would say. God had chosen them as a people for Himself. And Ephesians 1 tells us, you and I have been chosen as His people for Himself as part of His eternal, sovereign, and gracious plan. In 1 Timothy 1.16, I'll read it and maybe jot it down and read it later, but Paul's sharing with Timothy, his young pastor, and he says, yet, yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. That's a loaded verse, but Paul's saying, you know what, God in His mercy had patience with me. 
He called me to himself for eternal life. God has had great patience with you and I, that's for sure. Paul also mentions that his conversion involved God's grace from first to last. Verse 15, But when he had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace. Called me through his grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son in me. This brought Paul into a relationship with Christ and took him where a devout Jew and Pharisee never would go, to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. You see, when you encounter Christ, you wind up going places you never dreamed you ever would go. Encountering things you never thought you'd ever encounter. But it took God's grace to remove the blinders to see the reality of Christ. Upon our conversion, our eyes too are opened. We too get corrective lenses. We hear with new ears and feel with new affections by grace. One of the testimonies we heard Tuesday night, one of the individuals even alluded to that, how how things just kind of got turned upside down. Everything changed. It's true. It happened in Paul's life and it happens at ours, at our conversion. And so Paul talks about his life before Christ. He talks about his conversion, but then he talks about his life after Christ, after he trusted Christ. You could say it after his conversion. He outlines his actions. Verse 17, he says, rather than joining the other apostles in Jerusalem, he instead made his way into Arabia. And seems mystery envelopes Paul's time right here. And Galatians seems to add what Acts doesn't mention here. And so you could almost look at a timetable like this. Paul's conversion, there was immediate teaching in Damascus, and then he spent time alone in Arabia, about three years. It's a long time. Well, what did he do during those three years? We're not entirely sure. We can surmise, though. I certainly would try, if we try to put ourselves in Paul's shoes, I think we begin to think, okay, I think he probably thought about this, this, and this. Also, when you think about Arabia, it's not, probably wasn't that far from Damascus since the northernmost part of Arabia is only about 100 miles from Damascus. Saul may have, just, may have just gone to Arabia just across the border, but make no mistake, it was a barren, desolate place. When we talk about getting alone with God, he got alone with God. There would be no pizza deliveries where Paul was. He was alone. In comparing this passage with Acts, it seems to fit best at the end of chapter 9, verse 22. It almost seems this is where you could insert this Arabia experience. Because in verse 23 and 25, it speaks of a second time of ministry, which says, after many days, which I would take that to be Arabia, but maybe don't take that to the bank. (laughs) One commentator writes this, I liked his words. In this period of withdrawal, as he meditated on the Old Testament scriptures, on the facts of the life and death of Jesus that he already knew, and on his experience of conversion, the gospel of grace, God was revealed to him in its fullest. It's even been suggested that those three years in Arabia were a deliberate compensation for the three years of uninstruction or three years of instruction which Jesus gave the other apostles. Interesting thought. But which Paul missed. But now he had Jesus to himself, as it were, for three years of solitude in the wilderness. For sure he went for quiet and solitude, reflection, study, I got a feeling he sat in that desert and said, how did I miss it? 
I studied the law thoroughly. I knew it inside out. I knew what the prophet said. How? How on earth did I miss it? I got a feeling that went through his mind a lot. I believe he probably also tried to come to grips with being forgiven. You have regrets about your life before Jesus, just like I do. Sometimes they're hard to get through, isn't it? You remember all too well your life before Christ and what you involved yourself in and what you did. Your life's full of regrets. Look at Paul. I'm sure he wrestled with the issue of forgiveness. And yet, Arabia became a temple for him. It kind of set the table for his ministry. Don't miss this, though. It strikes me like, Paul, there's some things we can say. That Christ lives, in, lives within us. Just like Paul states. You and I have been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer we who live. It's Christ who lives within us. In the life we now live, we live by faith. In the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You see, we too have Christ living within us. And we too, like Paul, also share in a mission, a call to make Christ known. And so pre-conversion, we read about a fanatic heading in the wrong direction. His conversion, it's all of God's grace from beginning to end. And his post-conversion is the story of a faithful proclamation of Jesus who gave him his message, his testimony. One lesson we can take from Galatians 1 is that when God transforms a life, there's always a testimony. There's always a story. Paul's story and ours shows us God loves to save bad people. And that no one's beyond the reach of his amazing grace. Now a lot of us, when we hear the idea of testimony and even sharing it, we break out in a cold sweat. <laughs> like, oh no, I could never do that. That would be too hard. What if somebody asked me a question? I don't know, I hear that one a lot. Giving our testimony is so crucial and I want to give you some applications that are going to relieve the pressure. And we get them from Galatians 1. Because each of us as Christians has a story to tell. A testimony to share. Matter of fact, I want you to just say that right now. i got a story to share. Say it. Okay, then let's talk about how to do it. Things not to do. Don't preach. Just talk. When you give your testimony, don't make demands. Let your story speak for itself. Let your testimony speak for yourself. Don't talk down to people. You put a wall up immediately. Just talk about your story. Don't generalize. Be specific. Maybe mention places, events, and people. Show how you felt, maybe what you were thinking. Most of all, though, be specific about what it takes to become a Christian. Be clear about the gospel. But make sure your specifics don't take you down rabbit trails either. That can really muddy the message. But be specific. Don't be mystical. Be clear. Be simple. Talk straight. Use plain terms. I would say stay away from Christianese that non-believers wouldn't understand. See, a lot of people you'll talk to don't know what it means to be, that Christ became a propitiation for us. They won't get it when you say, I've been redeemed by the blood. They won't understand what you're talking about when you say, I've been justified from my transgressions. Those are powerful truths. We need to understand them as Christians 
But for someone who's hearing the gospel, they're not going to have a lick of an idea probably of what you're talking about. So be careful. Be clear. Don't be mystical. Don't defend yourself. Just declare your story. I, I love that about Paul. He doesn't really defend necessarily. He tells a story. It's a defense enough. Don't put down someone who argues with you. Just tell your story. And trust in the power of God and the power of the gospel. Many will want to engage you in evolution. They'll say, hey, what about this? How could a loving God allow bad people or allow people to go to hell? Why does God allow to good people bad things? And they might take you, want to take you down these issues, and you might be tempted to debate them or defend yourself. Don't. Just declare your story. There's a time and place to debate those things. There's a time and place to talk about apologetics and those things. I'm not denying that. But so what if you win the debate? They didn't hear your story about how Christ transformed you. I don't know, maybe we didn't really win then. Share your story of how Christ changed your life. Don't defend yourself. Things to do. Be brief. Paul covered in 14 years, 13 verses. That's condensing things, would you agree? He did it well. He was specific, but he was also selective. I learned this lesson years ago. Um, I'd invited a friend who was unsaved, a guy I played basketball with, to an event we were having at church, and I was the youth pastor at the time, and the senior pastor had worked with a gentleman who was going to share his testimony at that event. And, and the guy got up, and, and he began to share and share and share. I'm like, surely he's going to get to Jesus somewhere in here. No. He just went on for 15, 20 minutes about how bad he was. And that was it. I thought, oh, somebody dropped the ball. And so I had to talk with my friend, actually almost bypass a lot of what my, the other guy had shared because he wasn't brief. He lost people's attention. He certainly wasn't. What we also need to do is be clear. He wasn't clear. Follow a logical progression. Tell what happened before, during, and after your conversion. Use Paul's outline. It's a pretty good one. It's the one I use when I disciple people and help them to tell their stories. Tell a little bit about your life before Christ and during and after. The interesting thing is it's very different. You may have come to Christ at a young age of five. And you're like, you know, I wasn't really a terror in my crib too bad. I didn't do too many things bad back then. But your story might, might really zoom in on what happened when you came to Christ and the difference Jesus has made in your life since then. Or maybe like me, you didn't come to Christ when you're 19 or 20 or late teens and your story's a little different before Christ. But the story that's the same we all share is our conversion, how Jesus captured us. And how he came to faith in Christ. So be brief, be clear, and see, be humble. Glorify God, not yourself. Remember the end result of Paul's testimony. Look at the end of verse 24 in Galatians 1. This is great. They were glorifying who? God. Make sure you're humble. And your testimony glorifies God, not you. That would be totally missing the whole point. If it's by grace, it's by grace. 
keep it that way. So God gets the glory. Remember, you're not giving a presentation. You're sharing a story. You're sharing your testimony. I'm going to ask you, have you ever told your testimony? If so, maybe how long has it been? In light of this text, maybe you've never sat down and put it together. In light of this text, use simple, clear outline. Write it out. Sit down and write out your testimony. This week, I really challenge you to do that. Maybe you've already written it out, but you need to, to rethink it a little bit and maybe clarify it. Maybe it's too wordy. Maybe you're like, boy, if I, if I really shared this or read this, I, I think it might be kind of muddy. Maybe you just need to re- rewrite it, refresh it. After all, if you wrote your testimony years ago, I'm pretty sure God's still working in your life. There's some things you can add about what God has done in your life. I do want to caution you, not everyone experiences a dramatic conversion like Paul's. So resist the temptation to enhance yours if you feel, if you feel your testimony is boring. There is no boring testimony. When Jesus transforms a life, that's always exciting. So the gospel is both interesting and powerful enough. I got my first lesson on the power of testimony in college. I'd come to Jesus in college, and, and, and I was about to leave college, and uh, the group I kind of was a part of, FCA, um, some of the leaders said, Matt, before you leave, would you share your testimony? I said, yeah, sure I will. It'd be gr- this will be great. And, and I was nervous, but I, I love to tell the story. <laughs> and, uh, but I had a friendship I developed with a young lady named Heidi. And I said, Heidi knew I was leaving, and I said, Heidi, I... She wasn't a Christian. I said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something at this FCA meeting. She was on a swim team, so the idea of athletics wasn't uh, you know, really a turnoff at all to her. And so she said, okay, I'll come. And, and, and bless her heart, she came. And I got to share my testimony, my story. And she came to Christ. I'll never forget that. Because it's the first time I think I really, really realized that what God does in my life can change another life. And, and I'm not sure I really realized that up to that point. And so she came and listened and trusted Christ. And there's people God's going to bring in your path who need to hear your story. Who need you to share what Jesus has done in your life. Don't drop the ball. Be ready. Use Paul's example here as a way to prepare yours. And might the love of Christ compel you to share it as often as you can, with people. God wants to use you. And might we all say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Might that be our proclamation and our deep conviction. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, am so encouraged, so challenged, by Paul's testimony. I think we all are. And maybe deep within us right now is this conviction that we haven't shared it. We've been keeping the wonderful news of a Savior who can change us and transform us to ourselves. While there's people all around us dying, walking in darkness. So first we ask forgiveness. Forgive us for letting fear rule us. Forgive us for being too concerned about fitting in. Forgive us, God, for putting the pressure on ourselves to 
not share it because we, we can't do it perfectly. Or fear we can't answer questions. What I'm asking, Holy Spirit, in all of our hearts, that you'd place deep within us a passion. A passion to share what you've done. A passion that would be so much greater than any fear. So much greater than any human desire. And might there be a deep conviction, uh, conviction that you can take the power of the gospel that has changed our life and changed another. Help us to live on the edge of expectancy that not only do you want to use us, you will use us if we will but step out in faith. So help each of us, God, to clarify in our minds the story of what you've done in our lives so we might share it. And Lord, in a room this size, I also believe there's some here who don't have a story. They're still in the first phase, so to speak, of Paul's testimony before Christ. And they don't know you. If that's you this morning, I would love to talk with you more. and I would just pray for you that God would continue to open your eyes to see your need for the Savior. That you'd call upon Him to save you and to rescue you. So God, please speak and continue to work in those hearts as well. So God, might the end result be that you would be glorified among all people. For it's in your strong name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand up.